phase is locked and ready to fire, sir. Illogical. Welcome back. This is Floyd from Federation Radio. And we're back again. I know I didn't end up doing an episode last week, but that's fine. I haven't been feeling well. I've been busy. I'm back. And what do we do when we're not feeling well? We watch Star Trek, because that's what we do. So today was actually a really cool episode that I forgot happened so early in Star Trek. It's called, well, this is Season 1, Episode 4, where no man has gone before. Now, this episode is all about the Galactic Barrier, which is a really interesting thing in Star Trek that exists on the outskirts of the Milky Way galaxy. So this is why we don't see much of, like, intergalactic invaders. There are a couple incidents here and there of things like that, or travellers and visitors, but nothing major. Like, some sci-fi, like 40k, has, like, the Tyranids, or some kind of big species coming in from another galaxy. Even Stargate had one. But, um... Star Trek doesn't. It doesn't often talk about other galaxies. And that's because of this barrier. And what's interesting is we learn in a couple of episodes in the future about the fact that other galaxies don't seem to have this barrier. A lot of people think it's made by someone. Some people think the Q, some people say others. I'm not really sure. Honestly, I think it just exists because when they made this episode for the show, they thought it would be interesting. And uh, the other writers over the years had to work around that, like a lot of Star Trek. But, uh... So this episode starts off with them going to look in on USS Valiant because they get a message from it and this ship has been missing for 200 years which means it's been missing since, you know, World War 3-ish era of humanity. This is a long ago ship. It had probably very minimal warp drive if it had any. So the fact that we're hearing from it at this point is weird. So Kurt goes to look into what it is immediately. And they discover, pretty quickly, that the Valiant is not there. Where they found the signal, they end up finding... It's like a big... looks like a big robot thing, or a computer core, but like... It's meant to be sort of like a black box. It's got a bunch of the logs and all the information of what was going on with the ship before they had their incident. And we learn that they were having problems with ESP which means extrasensory perception. Now, now, before we go any further, I just want to say, ESP is such a cool idea, and it's a concept that not much sci-fi takes on anymore. Because back in the 60s, 70s, like, if you've ever heard of MK Ultra and all these things, like, ESP was something that a lot of people in powerful positions legitimately believed in. This was not just some weird, like, a couple cults believed in it. Like, no, people in the U.S. government, in the CIA, back in the 70s and 80s, were funding studies into ESP. This was a real thing, or at least they believed it was, for a lot longer than you might think. Like, in the modern day, you you hear about ESP, and it's easy to go, oh, that's some stupid thing they believed hundreds of years ago. No. (laughs) Like, literally, not even 30 years ago, there were active studies being taken by legitimate governments into this stuff, which is crazy, and a lot of it is still classified, so, you know, a lot of people have different theories on whether how much success they had with it or not, but anyway, in Star Trek, it, it's another thing that doesn't come up very often, ESP's a bit of a, these days it's seen as a bit of a pseudoscience, but this episode really hones in on it and really tries to tackle this idea of ESP, which I love. So in this, like, black box, we find messages and leftover data showing that 
A lot of it was damaged, so Spock's trying to get what he can out of it, but we quickly find that all they can pull out is ESP, that they waited too long, and that the captain self-destructed the ship. Now, why that happened, and exactly the details on what's going on, we kind of lose because of the damage to the probe, so that sucks. But they're trying to learn, and then Kirk makes the decision at that point, because we're at the Galactic Barrier, he says, well, one day other ships are going to explore this part of the galaxy. We're going to be the first. So he decides to take his ship through the Galactic Barrier, and we're going to go outside the galaxy, which... I don't blame him. If I was in a starship and I was the first one with any real record of being there, I'd want to go check it out too. It'd be cool. So you know, they go in and immediately, immediately everything starts going wrong. They go through the galactic barrier, or they try to, massive damage ensues. The ship starts blowing circuits on every level. Certain members of the crew start being thrown around and injured from all the things that are happening. We learn that um, nine crew members die during this incident, is what we get told. And there's also, I should say, before this started, before they decide to go through the barrier, he brings onto the bridge all the heads of departments on the ship, because, to get their advice. And amongst them is a Dr. Elizabeth... Oh, what was her name? Elizabeth Denhier. And she is a psychologist who apparently is specialising in trying to study crews during times of stress, and how they handle things. You know, so... That's fine. They're all on the bridge. I will also add quickly, as a little fun fact for that moment, amongst these people that we get introduced to, most of them we'll never see again. One of them is Scotty, the head of engineering. This is, I believe, the first time we get to see Scotty, and while he doesn't play a big role in this episode, they must have liked him, because, a little bit of a spoiler, he's going to be a returning character, and you're going to love him, because everybody loves Scotty. Scotty's great. But anyway, in this episode, like I said, he's fairly minor, so we won't worry about him too much. But we meet Elizabeth, and she brings up the fact that ESP is a bit... It's a bit, even at that time period, they're like, everyone gets tested for ESP, apparently, in Starfleet. So all of their ESP records, and how high up on the ESP radar they are, or the scale, I don't quite know, is all on, on our file. And we discover, as they're trying to break through the barrier, that... Particularly, people with high ESP ratings are being affected differently. And in particular, there's two people. So there's a guy named Gary, who is one of Kirk's friends from Starfleet Academy. He's known him a long time. So Gary gets affected really bad. When they get through the barrier, he gets thrown to the ground. They do say he'll be okay, but he suffered some severe damage, and he says something like, it felt like... I was magnetized to the floor, like he was thrown down. And Dr. Elizabeth Den here says a very similar thing. It happened to her too. She got thrown to the ground. And it wasn't just from the force, it was something else. So, you know, they stop the ship after a little bit of damage. Like, obviously, they turn the ship around, they head back into the galaxy because trying to go through the barrier has killed crew members and damaged the ship immensely. So, they turn around... But very quickly, they discover problems. Like, well, to start with, the engines are down and half the ship's circuitry has been blown out. So immediately, the ship has to be put on full repair mode. All the engineers are full ball trying to repair everything. And they're concerned. Like, can we get back to civilization before we run out of supplies? But there's another problem with Gary, where he opens his eyes when he's on the ground. And we see his eyes are, like, glowing light blue. Almost as if he's blind. And he gets taken to 
the med bay. And he's in there for a little while. And we see some weird behavior from him, like Kirk and a few others start coming to visit him, asking if he's okay and checking in on him, you know, like like good captain and friends would. But he starts showing strange abilities and... You know, I don't get the feeling that he was a particularly stupid person before this, but he wasn't the science officer. He was one of the men that was helping to fly the ship. He was Kirk's friend. He didn't seem like he was, you know, this was not a man that was going to lead the science division. This is just a regular Starfleet member. And yet, he seems to be having his intelligence raised rapidly. Like, they, they go to check on him and he's reading through ESP reports on the historical cases of ESP and he's reading through all of it and he makes a joke to Kirk something along the lines of oh just a bit of light reading when it's obvious he's reading some pretty heavy like scientific data here that you get the feeling from Kirk's face and everyone else's concern around him not the sort of thing Gary would normally read and he reads it and he says oh it's just light reading it's actually quite simple once you understand it which is really concerning to everyone because well his intelligence is growing what the hell just happened to him his eyes look weird yet he can see. He starts talking to people before he's even turned to face them and knowing who's in the room. We start getting, you know, later on he gets visited and he starts quoting literature to Elizabeth Dehia, or Denhia. You know, obviously she's a psychologist, so she's come to see him, to check on him, and see how he's going. And he starts quoting literature to her that he's never read. And that gets interesting because we're discovering that he has powers, like... He is able to use his thought to command the universe, it seems, but to a limited degree at this point. He's still learning his abilities, but we don't know what the limits of them are. Like, he turns around and he says to Elizabeth, No one seems to want to let me out of here. No one seems to know what to do with me. What if I did this? And he looks at his vitals that are all fairly normal. You know, sitting in the middle, he seems to be perfectly healthy, even though he obviously isn't. And he manages to make all his vitals go up to the point that like he should probably be going into shock and then he drops them way down to the point that his body actually does collapse he physically like passes out and she starts getting really concerned and then a few seconds later his vitals just go back to normal and he sort of smiles and he's like how about that because at this point his power is growing it's growing to the point that he's now able to control life and death in his body and people are getting concerned he could possibly do it to others And on top of that, we learn other problems, like his friend Lee, who is one of the guys that works, sorry, one of the guys that works on the bridge and seems to be helping out with the repairs, and he tells Lee that there's a circuit that's burnt out, you missed it. And then he says, when you start the impulse drive, it'll blow out half the ship. And Lee says, don't worry, you know, he's trying to be a nice friend, he's like, alright, I'll look into it, no need to be concerned though, you just worry about yourself. And he gets real serious with him. He says, no, Lee, I'm serious. That will blow up the ship. Go back and check that out. And then a few scenes later, we get a scene of Lee in the room with Spock and with Kirk. And he's basically telling them what happened. And he says, I'll be damned, Captain. When I went back to check, it was burnt out exactly where he said. And just like he said, it would have blown out the impulse drive. And I thought I'd better report that to you because he had no way of knowing that. And it seemed really unusual to me. Which a Kirk, of course, concurs. He's like, that is unusual. That is, something's very odd here. 
So we go back. So at this point, we get a bit of a discussion between Spock and Kirk. And we get a, what do we do? And Spock, in his typical Vulcan fashion, starts to say things like, I think we should look at possibly leaving him somewhere. Like Spock suggests exiling him. And, uh, sorry, I should say before this, in this meeting, we also have Scotty and a few other people. They also mentioned, you know, that down in engineering, there was a moment where all the ship's levers and buttons started moving on their own, started moving as if someone was controlling them, which, again, reinforces what Kirk and Spock were worried about of, yeah, he's starting to play with his powers pretty, how much longer until he sees the ship and the crew as mere toys to play with? How long until we're just creatures so far below him that who knows what he'll do? Spock kindly suggests exiling Gary to a planet nearby called Delta Vega, which is apparently an automated planet that I think they mine on, because Kirk makes a comment about how ore ships come in every 20 years. He makes a comment to Spock about how Gary's his friend. He doesn't want to abandon his friend on this planet. It's cruel, you know. Ships only come every 20 years. He's going to be on his own. Like, how can you do that to your friend? And I get that. That would suck. I don't know what I'd do in that position. And <laughs> Kirk says to Spock, this is one of those moments where I wish you could feel, damn it. I wish you understood how it feels to have to consider these things for a friend. And Spock says, you know, in his own way, he kind of just says, well, I don't feel. I work off pure logic, and the logic tells me that this man is dangerous, and we should probably do something about him while we can. Because at the rate that his powers are growing and his control over them is growing, we have a very limited window where we may be able to do anything. Soon he will be beyond us. And Kirk, as much as he is, he does care about his crew. He also cares about his whole crew and his ship. He takes his job seriously. As much as he doesn't want to do it, he ends up kind of giving in to, fine, for the sake of the ship, I have to do this. So they go down... They use some of the stuff from the planet to repair the ship at first. That was the initial thing. And then they take Gary down and they put him in a prison cell down there. Now at first, Gary's kind of okay with this. He sits down there. He's like, well, he's not okay. He, he resists. He gets annoyed. But there's a moment. There's a moment when he tries to force his way through the force field in the cell there to get at Kirk. And for just a moment, he's thrown to the ground and his eyes stop glowing. They go back to their regular cell, their regular eyes. And he kind of, almost sadly, he says, Kirk, it's this real, like, it's almost like a little kid, you know, in possession movies, when they have that sudden moment of, like, they break through the possession, they're like, help me. <laughs> and you can't help but feel sorry for him. But it only lasts a moment. Very quickly, his eyes go back to normal, and he kind of starts going on about how, you know, he is as close to a god as any man has ever been. You know, he can also read thoughts, he can read everyone's thoughts. So he's not just predicting where you are and using your tools and stuff. He's also reading your minds. He's becoming, I mean, quite frankly, I don't know if I'd call him a god, but at this point, he's as close to godlike as a human's ever been. He's not completely wrong to say that, although it is very arrogant of him to say. So now, we see down on the planet, Gary breaks out of his cell pretty quickly. Like, they put him in the cell... They leave minimal staff down there. Most of them have gone back up to the ship to finish the repairs. And they left down... Lee actually gets left down. And Lee gets strangled. <laughs> Lee gets strangled by one of the wires hanging behind the desk. 
obviously from Gary. Gary is using his powers over nature to get those wires and strangle Gary. He then turns the power off, walks out. You know, he starts walking around, and we see he has the ability to terraform. He's out there, he ends up with Elizabeth, because she wants to stay back and talk with him, because she finds him interesting. And she says something to Kirk that interested me. She said, how do you know what he's going through is wrong? How do you know he's not a better kind of person, a more powerful person? He may be a new breed of human. Which... Man, you get near eugenics level of discussion there. She's not completely wrong, but she's not really right either. But it was an interesting take for a Starfleet psychologist. I, I at least, I found that very interesting. Oh, and it just hit me. I wonder. No, no, it's not. Okay, it doesn't matter. I was going to say something about Khan, a character we'll meet later, but no, Elizabeth is not the lady that leaves with Khan, because she dies at the end, so... Whatever. So, you know, he terraforms. He's out there with Elizabeth on the planet. At this point, mind you, he has... Because Kirk and Spock come down when they realize that Lee's dead. He basically uses his mind powers to almost... It almost feels like something out of, like, Star Wars. It feels like he's a Sith. He, like, puts his hands towards them. A little bit of lightning goes across their chest, and suddenly they're, like, stunned on the ground. Both Spock and Kirk can do nothing. He walks out of the facility, tells Elizabeth to come with him. Now, interestingly, at this point, Elizabeth's eyes also go um, clear, like bright and clear, which suggests that, you know, she makes a comment at the start that she has a high ASP rating. So it seems that everyone hit by the galactic barrier that has a high ASP rating goes higher, potentially gets stronger. That That is fascinating to me and makes me wonder who created the barrier and why it would have that effect on people kind of wish we went into it a little more I won't lie, I do think the Galactic Barrier does come up another time or two I do recall it being around but not often it's definitely not something they touch on nearly often enough I would love to have more stories around this barrier but uh so we get to this weird point where he's basically trying to create a new world, like he says to her hey, what if I could just do this and he just like moves his head a little and apple trees form they just it's like they appear there's a water fountain suddenly it goes from being this kind of dry arid climate to this beautiful like eden-like planet at least that area of it showing that he now has power not just over people and things but over nature itself and she even says to him like how can you do that and he says oh i have no idea what my limits are just yet but i'm starting to think there might not be a limit to my powers and you know of course kirk being kirk he doesn't give it up. He decides to go after Gary because he recognizes how much of a danger this is now. And if he leaves Gary here, it might not be enough. If he can terraform the planet and use his mind like this, he's probably going to get off the planet at some point. It's even exiling here here now is not going to be a good solution. So he goes after him, and we kind of get this moment where Kirk's doing what Kirk does. He's doing the typical Starfleet captain thing of, you know, giving a speech, trying to say how bad Gary is and how. Funny, you call yourself a god, and yet you have all the same human frailties of arrogance. Arrogance and all our other problems. And then he starts, quite intelligently, building a divide between Elizabeth and Gary. By saying things like, because Gary starts trying to show off. Kirk tries to ambush him, Gary kind of laughs, stuns him, puts him on the ground, makes him kneel, uses his mind powers to force 
Kirk into a prayer position on his knees and says, Pray to me, Captain. In this really arrogant way. And Kirk very intelligently says, Pray to you, not pray to us. I see. And then he turns to Elizabeth and basically says, You hear this? You sure you want to stay here with him? Is he actually a god or is he just another arrogant man with far too much power? And it kind of works. It goes on for a bit, but there is a point where Elizabeth kind of realizes what's going on and how wrong it is. And she turns her newfound powers, which are weaker than Gary's, but she turns them on Gary. Which seems to tax him a little. It wears him out, brings his powers down to a point where Kirk is then able to spear tackle him. Because Kirk breaks through the stun hold that he had over him and tackles Gary because... Between him and Elizabeth, they managed to get Gary into the grave in the ground that Gary had created for Kirk. And the Kirk then gets his phaser rifle, realizing after firing on Gary a few times that it's not going to do anything, fires on the mountain above and gets a rock slide to basically cover Gary into this hole. Presumably killing him, although I will say, I'm not certain he's dead. They kind of just buried him under rock. I'm not sure that would have killed him at this point. Maybe it did. And then, you know, so he's under the rock. Kirk heroically has saved the day once again. The false god has been cast down. You know, they kind of have, as I've written in my notes here, Elizabeth and Gary have a mini god off in that fight, which is kind of cool, actually. It was it was really weird. It felt like I was watching a, like, fantasy story for a moment. It was like these two mages going at it, or two Jedi. It was just this mind power war. It's not what you expect when you watch Star Trek. It's not something that comes up much, but again... Something I kind of wish we saw more of. I'd love to see more telekinetic powers, different species and stuff doing that. I think that'd be fascinating. But uh, she makes one comment before she dies. Because at this point, she's taxed herself. Gary also has attacked her during this fight. She is not coping well. And as she's dying, she says to Kirk, If only you understood what it was like to be so close to being a god. And then she kind of lets out her last breath and dies. And we get a nice little scene on the bridge after that of Kirk into the... I don't know what you call it, into the computer log. He's basically saying, Elizabeth down here, or Den here, you know, died doing her duty. And then he says, the same for Gary. And then he ends the log and he turns to Spock and says, I want that to be what's written. It wasn't their fault. They didn't ask for what happened to them. I want the record to show that they did their duty till the end nothing less than they deserve which you know again Kirk's just a good captain he really is you can't help but love Kirk you know but uh yeah and I love Spock has a comment here where he says I did feel for him captain and I believe him <laughs> it's funny it's one of those moments where like Kirk kind of smiles he turns to Spock he says perhaps there's hope for you yet Mr. Spock and I thought that was fun now, I want to go over a few... That was the basic story. So, it was a story about ESP, a false god, a man getting more power than he probably should have and abusing it. You know, the, the, the typical sort of this kind of story. And it was fun. I enjoyed it. There's a few little things in it, like... <laughs> at one point, Lee tries to hit on Dr. Den here when she first comes on the bridge. And she basically just turns him down immediately and intellectually... It just proves that she's above him. And he turns around and says to the other guy on the bridge, like a walking freezer unit, which... Such a good insult. Like a walking freezer unit. That's, that's a great insult for someone that's just cold or unreceptive. 
what else was there? So I got... Oh, here we go. Here was an interesting one. So Spock mentions to Kirk at the start of the show, because at the very start of the opening scene is Kirk and Spock playing chess as they're approaching the USS Valiant's last known location. Kirk wins because, as Spock says, he plays very illogically. But during that um, game of chess, we get an interesting bit of conversation from Spock where he says, one of my ancestors was a human. And, you know, Kirk makes a joke about, oh, must be bad having... It must suck having bad blood like that. But, you know, it is a bit of fun banter between friends on the bridge, but I thought it was interesting because watching later Trek, as as you'll see later, like, we know Spock's mother is a human. Why did he say ancestor? Like, maybe at this point it was meant to be an ancestor and he was just part human. Maybe they hadn't written much of his backstory yet, but it was interesting that he said that. Because a big part of his character later on is that he is half human. His mother is human. His father is pure Vulcan. He chose to live life as a full Vulcan and not give in to his human half. But there are times where he does. He also chose to join Starfleet instead of joining the Vulcan, you know, Science Academy or whatever they call their, you know, their planet's exploration ships and whatever. So he is a little rebellious. Like, sometimes we see his human parts coming out and stuff like that. It was interesting that back at this point they were still saying his ancestor. I don't know. I'm going to be paying attention to that in the future. I'm interested when they change that. I'm interested exactly at what point he goes from having an ancestor that's human to them determining it's his mother. Because I don't remember that being a distinction in the early days. So I'm I'm fascinated by that. Now, I think that's it. Oh yeah, and then we get one other fun little thing between Gary and, um, and Kirk. Is Gary mentions the fact that Kirk... They used to jokingly call him back in school a stack of books with legs. Because Kirk, ironically, even though he's kind of renowned now by the fan base and everyone in the show, is a bit of a suave ladies' man, a very confident captain, leader of men. Apparently, in his school days, he was a goddamn nerd. He had all the books in the world. He was obsessed with science and social studies. I find that interesting. Because that's, you know, Kirk, of all the captains, he's not the one I would have picked for being an intellectual. Picard, sure, that man's as intellectual as they come, to a fault half the time. But, you know, Kirk, I wouldn't have picked it. I kind of like that they mentioned that. Gives you even more respect for him, because, yes, he actually knows what he's talking about. He's not just a suave, smooth-talking gentleman. He's also an intelligent, well-educated man who, when he says these things, he's confident because he knows it's the truth. But, yeah. So that was this episode, When No Man Has Gone Before. Thank you all for coming by. Again, Feel free to go and email me. Have a look at the last episode for the email, because I don't quite remember it off my head. I will make a note of that in my book next time, so that I can mention that to you in each episode. But as this show is still fairly new, I'd like to thank you all for coming by. I will see you all in the next episode. Oh, no, no, I'll mention that in the next episode. Goodbye for now.